Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. I'm so grateful for Substack and in particular for Barry Weiss and the Free Press, because they really put out some of the most interesting material that you could possibly read. And I think it's time for us to stop watching cable news and uh, start reading, because I think some of the opinions that you see on television aren't very carefully thought out. Rather, they are salacious and they're designed to push buttons and get clicks or whatever it is they're trying to get. But the writing, well, something you write down has to have some value and some intrinsic meaning, or you wouldn't bother going to all that trouble. So they've been documenting on the free press the takeover of American medicine and, of course, of the law. And they've exposed how schools have been indoctrinating kids rather than educating them. And they've reported on all of the legacy news organizations from the TV stations like CNN and Fox to the newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post. And they've reported that most of the time, these sources, which used to be valuable, put politics before they put the truth. So there's a great article a couple of weeks ago was written by Elisa Sellen Davis that talks about therapy. And I think in this modern world, and with all of the people claiming that they are depressed or they're victimized, Therapy is going to become something we need to closely examine. So Lisa Davis documents how American psychologists that were once trained to listen without judgment, I remember the first couple of times I went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and I kept saying, like, well, why don't you say something? And they said, I'm listening. And I was, like, stunned. I was paying somebody to listen while I talked. Well, guess what? The great thing about my job today is I get paid to talk and you don't get paid to listen. Anyway, one of the therapists that was in a training program told Davis that their concern was they're not helping people heal. They're just helping people live in their victim mentality. And that's why stories like this are so important to tell. We think it's in the public interest to tell these stories. So I'm on board with the likes of Barry Weiss and Andrew Sullivan and even um, Berenson, Alex Berenson, because they've taken to Substack to put out important stories. So let me start with the story of Lily Cooney, who was fully committed to social justice. In the wake of George Floyd's death, the now 26-year-old writing tutor marched proudly in Black Lives Matter protests through the streets of Portland, Oregon. But the culture in which she was steeped began to take a toll on her mental health. As a white person, she felt responsible for America's racist legacy of slavery and worried about her relationship with her Asian-American girlfriend. 
I felt like I was hurting her, harming her, just by being white, Cooney said. Though she knew she was gay, she began to identify as non-binary, a result of her understanding that being a cis woman was associated with colonization and white supremacy and oppression. One day in June of 2020, she found herself suddenly unleashing a tirade against the next-door neighbor of a friend, a white man who said he supported BLM but had cops in his family whom he supported too. I had this moment afterwards where I was like, this is not how I want to behave. I don't want to be a person who just screams at people because they're white. Anxious and depressed, she had trouble concentrating on work. I started just going a little crazy, she said. She decided she needed therapy to work on both her internalized white supremacy, her white guilt, and to become a better person. In January of 2021, Cooney sought help from a black therapist in Portland she found through a therapy database who agreed to work with her around issues of race and gender. Initially, they practiced mindfulness and self-compassion techniques from forgiving oneself out loud to the butterfly hug, crossing arm and tapping the chest. The therapist even cried with her when she cried about sexual assault or feeling unsupported in relationships. Cooney felt supported and eventually more in control, more accepting of herself as female. Then something unexpected happened. The stronger and more mentally healthy she felt, the less Cooney viewed the world through the lens that had informed her activism, a binary perspective that split all people into categories, white and black, oppressor and oppressed, victimizer and victim. I care about equality. I care about racism. I care about homophobia. I care about trans people being safe. I just don't want to walk around in the world where everyone's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are dictated by their identities, she said. Cooney wanted to share her newfound realizations, but feared being canceled and ostracized by her friends, who were fellow activists, perhaps even her girlfriend. The burden weighed on her, and therapy seemed the place to address it. When she first tried to do so in June of 2022, Cooney's therapist reacted badly. She told Cooney that critiquing cancel culture was giving in to, quote, white supremacy culture and said Cooney was making her feel unsafe as a black woman. By the end of the session, the therapist had given her an ultimatum. They could continue to work together and keep cancel culture discussions off the table or the relationship was over. Cooney continued with the therapist for six more months, but her therapist seemed to emphasize Cooney's victimhood, reiterating that other people were responsible for her oppression as a gay woman. She said, you're not free because of homophobia and sexism. You'll never be free. Cooney began pushing back, expressing views the therapist had declared taboo, such as not wanting to categorize people based on their identities, or asserting that too many people were being shamed and punished for minor supposed transgressions. Finally, her therapist told Cooney their relationship was finished. Ultimately, the thing she had feared the most, being canceled for her views, had happened by the person with whom she was supposed to be able to share her deepest secrets. I was just totally in shock, just kind of dead inside, Cooney told me. 
Cooney is not alone in finding therapy overtaken by the same kind of social justice ideology prevalent in schools, medicine, and the law. I spoke with more than two dozen therapists and clients who painted a disturbing picture of what happens in the treatment room when therapists make the tenets of this ideology central to their work. Instead of offering empowering approaches that help patients make better choices and take control of their lives, some patients, like Cooney, have found themselves fired for expressing unacceptable thoughts. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You speak to new therapists, some of them still in training, who describe a profession that teaches the ascribing of oppressor or victim categories to patients based on their innate characteristics instead of seeing them as individuals. Several sources said their applications to graduate schools required them to make a written commitment to anti-racism. Some said they'd been penalized for asking the wrong questions in class, detailing how this ideological encroachment damages their own mental health. If you review mission statements and documents that are released by professional organizations in the last couple of years, they reveal how this revolution has transformed the central tenets of the therapeutic process. British psychotherapist Val Thomas said, the reason this happened is that activists captured the institutions and professional bodies of counseling and psychotherapy. At a time when as many as 90% of adults believe there's a mental health crisis in this country, parts of the mental health profession are in crisis as well. There is no doubt that historically, the fields of psychology and psychiatry, founded in the 19th and early 20th centuries by men like Sigmund Freud and Alfred Adler, Carl Jung, and others, made many mistakes and did people serious harm. Bookshelves are filled with volumes on the mistreatment of women. In the early 20th century, the field embraced eugenics, leading especially in America to appalling treatment of black people. Homosexuality was classified as a mental illness until 1973. In recent decades, the profession has sought to address its bad treatment and historic wrongs. This led to the development in the 80s of cultural competency, an awareness of one's own biases, and a commitment not to impose them onto clients. Subsequently, as psychiatrist Sally Saitel describes in a recent article, the idea that therapists required specific training to treat minorities expanded. By the early 90s, the American Psychological Association had updated its ethics code, requiring therapists to behave in culturally sensitive ways and appreciate the worldview and perspectives of those racially and ethnically different from themselves. The whole point of understanding cultural differences was that you didn't walk in and assume, says Christine Seifine, until recently a professor of clinical psychology at Antioch University's LA campus. But over the past decade, spurred by the rise of social media, 
Trump's election in 2016, and George Floyd's murder in 2020, Seifine, like many in her profession, began to see the mission change to something more insidious, imposing the bias and framework of critical social justice, the term that some psychologists use to refer to social justice ideology. According to CSJ, one's identity categories are paramount to the therapeutic process. Neutrality and objectivity, once the cornerstones of the practice, are now tools of oppression and white supremacy. The major professional organizations for the therapeutic fields have in recent years produced scholarship, mission statements, position papers, and curriculums reflecting this newfound dogma, one that leads therapists to refashion themselves into social activists. In 2015, the American Counseling Association, which represents over 60,000 professional counselors, published the Multicultural and Social Justice Counseling Competencies, dividing counselors and clients into privileged and marginalized groups and encouraging them to possess an understanding of their social identities, social group statuses, power, privilege, oppression, strengths, limitations, assumptions, attitudes, values, beliefs, and biases. They identify social justice as one of the core professional values of the counseling profession. The American School Counselor Association offers training for school counselors in all 50 states as leaders in social justice advocacy, working to eliminate racism and bias in schools. The National Association of Social Workers, the largest membership organization of social workers in the world, says that social workers pursue social change and embrace the intrinsic role we have in combating discrimination, oppression, racism, and social inequities. They add, the Code of Ethics calls on all members of the social work profession to practice through an anti-racist and anti-oppressive lens. The Influential American Psychological Association, which has more than 146,000 members and is the primary accreditor for psychology training programs, in 2021 issued a, quote, apology to people of color for APA's role in promoting perpetuating and failing to challenge racism, racial discrimination, and human hierarchy in the United States. Also in 2021, it published an equity, diversity, and inclusion framework promising to embed those principles throughout all aspects of our work. This includes a commitment to applying psychological science to create a more equitable and inclusive world and elevating and honoring the voices and perspectives of marginalized social and intersectional identities. Florida psychologist Nina Salander researched the political bias within the APA, finding a 532% increase in politically slanted communiques, almost 80% left-leaning. From 2000 to 2002, from 2017 to 2019, her data will be published this summer in a chapter of a book. She says an unacknowledged irony of social justice dictating the therapeutic approach is that it often fails to understand the patient in the room. A lot of immigrants or ethnic minorities in general actually possess surprisingly conservative or more traditional values, Salander said. Therapists who approach these clients 
through the lens of social justice may be wholly unprepared for that reality. A recent journal article by more than two dozen academics titled In Defense of Merit in Science writes of the APA's new mandate. They promote a radical, non-evidence-based, untested psychotherapy that encourages patients to see their problems through a lens of power and race. This is an abandonment of best practices, they write. This is not science. It is ideology and arguably malpractice. Critics of this ideological turn have no trouble acknowledging that systemic racism, homophobia, and sexism exist and that patients may be damaged by these forces. Of course, oppressions exist. Of course, unfairness, says Carol Sherwood, a psychotherapist in the UK who has studied the impact of social justice on the field. But she adds, the whole idea of identity politics doesn't fit with therapy because we look at individuals. We look at unique individuals. We don't group people. The minute you start grouping people and slapping labels on them, you're making assumptions. Psychology, and especially clinical psychology, is oriented to the individual, said Tab Shamsi, a clinical psychologist at the University of Chicago who has written about his field's ideological shift. But a lot of this social justice ideology isn't concerned about the individual. Counselors steeped in this ideology may assume that systemic racism, rather than, say, destructive habits or distorted thinking, is the source of depression for all patients who are racial minorities, or that discrimination and stigma, known as the minority stress model, rather than concurrent mental health issues, are to blame for a young person's gender distress. Critics of the CSJ approach are concerned that therapists then focus on forces outside the client's control rather than empowering the patient to make positive personal change. The point of therapy is for clients to develop more insight into what is troubling them and to be able to live more resourcefully. The problem with critical social justice-driven therapy is that there's only one way of understanding the client's difficulties— and that's understanding you are operating in a sort of nexus of oppressed or oppressor groups in society. As Thomas puts it, woke therapy weakens the client. Andrew Hartz, a clinical psychologist in New York, points out that when a therapist injects a specific political worldview into the therapy room, many patients are left feeling it isn't safe to ask questions. This population includes, he says, conservatives, liberals, and moderates who feel stifled and censored, people of color who are concerned about racism yet object to anti-racism ideology, gay people alienated by the LGBT culture wars, cops vilified by communities they serve, and more. Kobe Nelson, now a 41-year-old high school teacher in Colorado, was seeing a therapist for anxiety and depression and to help her assert herself more. Nelson grew up working class in the Fundamentalist Church of Christ community outside of Denver, where she was taught that girls should be quiet and self-effacing. Nelson was pursuing a Ph.D. in education at the University of Colorado a few years ago, and her therapist encouraged her to speak up in class. Many of the classes, from urban education to critical theory, focused on power and privilege and critical race theory, 
this explicitly linked whiteness with oppression. One day, Nelson followed her therapist's advice and raised her hand to ask why it was okay for students of color to have safe spaces to work out racial issues, but white students struggling to understand their privilege shouldn't. What if white people could have safe spaces to work out their privilege in places of higher education before they became urban teachers, she inquired. The room went silent. Then the professor, a person of color, yelled at Nelson, there are no safe spaces. There was more yelling, and though one student gingerly pointed out that they'd probably misunderstood Nelson's point, the others debated Nelson's power and privilege. She was shaking devastated, but she didn't want to cry white woman's tears or leave, which would be seen as white privilege. After that, she says, her fellow students shunned her, no longer collaborating on presentations or papers. When she talked to her therapist about what happened, the therapist pushed Nelson to examine her own racism instead of helping her to deal with the pain of her public shaming. It brought me right back to that place that I grew up in, which was this church that said, because you're a woman, because of an immutable characteristic, you can't speak up, she said. She felt she was treated like a heretic because she didn't fit the model of an oppressed person. At least church offers a path to redemption, but not social justice. There's no forgiveness. You're just confessing and confessing and confessing, Nelson said. I think many who go into therapy honestly don't feel like they have a lot of agency, and it doesn't help when your therapist is confirming that. For the burgeoning number of young people experimenting gender dysphoria or experiencing gender dysphoria, distress with one's biological sex, not only does pressure inside the profession limit the kind of psychological care they receive, so does pressure from outside. More than 20 states have laws banning what is called conversion therapy. Conversion therapy typically refers to the now discredited efforts to change gay people's sexual orientation to straight. But in the context of gender distress, activists have intentionally re-engineered that phrase to include any therapy that doesn't immediately and completely affirm a young person's desire to change genders. This means the therapist cannot explore possible sources of dysphoria, such as traumatic childhoods, sexual abuse, and family homophobia. It's also well documented that many gender dysphoric young people have numerous other mental health conditions that need addressing. These include autism, ADHD, eating disorders, and self-harm. Because anti-conversion therapy laws may prohibit exploring these other issues and require therapists simply to affirm a person's gender identity, providing exploratory therapy can be dangerous. These laws create a chilling effect, said Lisa Marciano, a Jungian analyst in Philadelphia who often works with clients with gender issues. Good therapists are afraid to do good therapy. They want to get away from this topic altogether. This leaves the rising number of detransitioners, people who have made a gender transition, realized it was a mistake, and wish to return to their birth sex without professional psychological support. When a client decides to detransition, affirming therapists have no professional tools to cope with. Said Joy Burgo, a California-based psychologist who works with detransitioners. 
When I told Dr. Mitch Prinstein, the chief science officer of the APA, about the patients being damaged by CSJ, he said he had never heard of the problem. The bigger issue, he said, is therapists whose religious or ideological beliefs spur them to deny care to sexual and gender minorities. He pointed me towards the APA's Code of Ethics, which states that psychologists should be aware of and respect cultural, individual, and role differences and try to eliminate the effect on their work of biases. Treatment based on dogma and ideology contradicts proven modalities like cognitive behavioral therapy, which of course is the behavioral therapy that I was involved in when I was young. CBT helps you manage anxiety, helps depression, and other problems by recognizing and mastering destructive thought patterns and behaviors, rather than focusing on, say, microaggressions as the source of personal distress that didn't even exist when I went through therapy. CBT encouraged me to put things in perspective, stop catastrophizing, and gain control over my reactions and perceptions. But one therapist in training who was afraid to be named said that much of what she is learning is the opposite of CBT. My concern is that we're not helping people heal and transcend, she said. We're just helping people live in their victim mentality. The ideologically motivated therapists of tomorrow are being trained today. And anyone who publicly questions the dogma risks jeopardizing their career before it starts. Take Leslie Elliott, now 46 years old, who was a part-time wellness consultant and homeschooling mother of four when she decided to go back to school in 2019 to get her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from the online program at Antioch. As her studies progressed, she said, I started to be disturbed by the ideological bent of the program. For example, a faculty advisor told Elliot, who considered herself liberal, that the school was aware they are producing counselors who would not be able to work with Trump supporters. They are training people who will not be able to see half the population as human beings who need compassionate treatment, Elliot said. As she neared the end of her program in the fall of 2022, all students were required to sign a civility pledge that had been put in place after the death of George Floyd. It read in part, I acknowledge that racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, ableism, ageism, nativism, and other forms of interpersonal and institutionalized forms of oppression exist. I will do my best to better understand my own privileged and marginalized identities and the power that these afford me. Despite being against racism, sexism, and all other isms, she refused to sign, even though her refusal meant that her master's degree was held hostage. It was like a purity test, she said, and she posted a video sharing her concerns that counselors were being trained not to remain objective and neutral with their clients. Instead, she said, we were taught that our main role as counselors was not in work with clients, individuals, and families, but rather as activists for social justice. Students were taught they need to assess themselves and their clients on a continuum of privilege, using criteria such as race, gender identity, disability, and more. For each of those categories, you give yourself a value of marginalized or privileged, and then you do the same for your clients. 
depression, bereavement, relationship issues, or any host of problems that might bring a client to a therapist were subsumed under identity categories. White clients, students were instructed, should be made to become more aware that they were perpetuating white supremacy. For clients who were not white, the students were told to help these patients increase their racial identity salience, that is, to see their problems as race-based, even if they weren't. This is not limited to the U.S. It's happening all over the world. And all I can say is, with mental health getting more and more disturbingly large and literally affecting everybody in every age group, this kind of social justice warriors in the therapeutic field really are doomed to doom a whole generation. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.